0: Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world.
1: Today, we continue our conversation with Stephen Perry on Changing the Way You Change. If you missed our previous episodes, we suggest you listen to them first. And now, a little bit of information about Stephen. Stephen Perry is the founder and senior partner at the Sense and Adapt Academy. They help create lean and agile enterprises through long-term, high-performing change teams that focus on customer centricity while building appealing work environments and culture. He is the author of Sense and Respond, The Journey to Customer Purpose, and is recognized as a world-class expert and multi-award winning transformation leader Let's all welcome Stephen Perry to our Agile Tales. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for coming back to our podcast. Thank you. I'm going to start by asking the question that I wasn't able to ask last time since we ran out of time. So my question is, most organizations think that transformation efforts have an end date or end state, which of course is not true. Do you think companies need to have a specific department or group of people who are tasked to oversee this constantly so that the organization doesn't stop changing and adapting once they think the transformation initiative is done? Can you rely on managers learning how to manage continuous change?
2: Yes, and that is a new skill set. I would much rather through a mechanism, and perhaps we can explore that, big picture collaboration so that when we are deciding what we're going to change, there are many points of views, bringing up the disconnects, looking at parts of the organization structures, the dynamics it creates with customers and employees and the actual business pursuit, the business, all business purpose. So in order to move to the type of adaptive organization I'm talking about, it's automatically going to throw up all the barriers. And normally what happens in that point is to say, well, let's go and look for the lower hanging fruit. Of course, the low-hanging fruit had gone a long time ago. And you've, you've even taken some of the trees away. There's no fruit at all. And this is the problem with taking an initiative which is going to transform the business as opposed to imp- the business within many of the constrictions that are there, but you're expecting the results of a transformation to come from improvement. So let's talk about improvement and transformation and how I define it to get this across. There's nothing wrong with improvement as long as whatever you're improving is going to be there for a long time and it makes the lives of your customers and your employees, not just your customers happier, then do it. That's the only, okay? But you're only improving what you have. The difference between change at a level is, and I'm talking about transformational change, you can have change which is improving, yes, but it's still improvement. But you can have change which is becoming adaptive and transformational. And the word transform is the clue, because the literal meaning is trans, Form, which means going beyond your current form if your basic form is staying the same and you are changing how you do things and you're not doing a transformation by definition you're doing improvement and that's okay but if your business requires truly transformation to stay in the business then improvement is not going to get you there anytime soon and trying harder on that is a waste of time. So this now becomes a strategic decision. And that's why senior managers need to understand, especially the board, that if we're going to make this transition, you have to make a transition to transform into a new Form with all the measurement systems and take away the things that would act as disconnects in that new business. But you migrate, you don't take a big step. And then once you migrate it, you continually do that because that capability is built into your people. The conversations are different, the purpose is different, the measurement is different, where you put your attention is different. And we are upskilling our whole workforce. I'm not in favor of dumbing down and sending it offshore to a low-cost labor economy, because that is dumb. I know one firm that I worked with, when I was asked to go and sort it out, this is a different one to the case study, I went there my first night, it was in Eastern Europe, and I was really eager to see this management team, so they were just having a celebration because somebody was leaving, so they asked me along to get to know them, and they were as miserable as hell. Some of them, when I was talking to them, had tears in their eyes and and it wasn't because they'd been drinking too much. I said, what's the matter? He said, I hope you're not going to do what they want you to do. I said, what do you think they want me to do? He said, well, they just want you to improve and cut the costs, which usually ends up meaning cutting heads. But this time... We suspect that you are coming in to take the business from this country in Eastern Europe to the neighboring country because they can get more grants and lower labor costs for moving it across the border and losing all that talent and workforce. I said, I'm not doing that. What I am trying to do is improve the level of value you can create to push up the wages to actually give superior services that the client is prepared to pay a premium for. And that's what we did, because two and a half years later, that company went to market with a completely different proposition based on the value and transforming the client's business, this is an outsourcer, and differentiating them, their clients in the marketplace to make them more secure. That made my client's territory in Eastern Europe safe, because what was happening is all the wages were going up in my client's area, and what has been happening other companies have been moving elsewhere. But my client was wise enough to say, well, when do we run out of countries? And they said, no, we've got to go up the value stream, up the value change, adding more value and completely differentiating ourselves so that we, even with our higher costs, can beat the low-cost labour economy and keep the work here. A similar job I had to do in Northern Ireland many years ago. That was one of my first jobs, because what they said is the government had invested a lot of grants to keep jobs and build, attract companies into Northern Ireland. They had done that, but then this is when the Indian market was opening up and some of them were moving what they call offshore to India because they were cheaper. So they came to me and said, how can we stop this? And we did exactly what I was just saying. We found a way that they created a heck of a lot more value for the same cost, but they were able to increase and retain their staff and their wages. And what they got from that is they were starting to win big contracts that they didn't have before because they could charge a premium. And I remember the, the business owner of that business said, look, we got a request for tender for this big outsourced deal. And he said, we could do that but we're going to be outbid by the big guys. And he said, you know, is there anything that we can do? And I said, we just changed the rules of the game. And then we talked about that. And we did several things to get approved and to beat the competition of the big boys. And they got the work and they increased the, the headcount instead of losing it to India.
0: Wow. I'm actually curious now, because in order for the organization to do that, to constantly sense and adapt... Obviously, people and teams, they will need the bandwidth to learn, to upskill, to grow, to adapt, and to manage change. So how do you ensure that organization is giving people that bandwidth as opposed to expecting them to constantly deliver? You
2: see, the question is telling me how you construct that question is coming out of that traditional mindset. I'm only saying this because I can illustrate it. It is not a question in what I do because we are learning how to deliver a very different purpose. And anything that wasn't delivering that purpose, we dropped. When they got new clients, they contracted with them differently and they delivered it differently. It's not that hard. What you do today is bonkersly complex. This is much simpler. So the disconnect of the measurement system, the direction, how you measure the work, how it flows, and how you switch off work is a lot easier than improving the flow of work. Don't do it. It doesn't meet the purpose. Don't automate the work that shouldn't be coming in. In IT, incidents, most of them unnecessary, but we end up improving how we fix the incident management process. So it's a bit like we are fixing tires. So we get the best tire fixing technicians. We get the best tire fixing processes, the best tire fixing tools. And then somebody says, you know, these tires are being blown up on these roads. Why do we fix the roads? You're never going to look at the roads because you're too busy fixing the tires. Because in that metaphor is how can people fix the tires and fix the road at the same time?
1: Thank you, Stephen. I resonate with your thoughts and answers on this because the old ways I've seen happen a lot in many of the companies I've worked in as well as in other companies. So does this mean now that this changing, relying on change is part of managers and people's job descriptions? Is this part of their performance expectations and how do you measure people in this regard and help them grow?
2: One of the things with one client in particular, they emphasized the need for the job descriptions and the competency profiles at the different levels of management. So they gave me two people and they said, we want to work with these two peoples. And how do we change these competencies to do very much what you just said? okay, HR are very hot on these competencies. There are three things within a competency that I try to emphasize is what knowledge is required. And this is about change. It's about motivation. And it's about the type of organization that I'm talking about. So there's a whole host of knowledge. Then we have, well, what does that do for practices? These are the practices that you would be expected to perform. And then coupled with that would be the behaviors. Now, that's a a more modern form of the old ask equation, attitude, skills and knowledge. But what I'm saying here is knowledge about the business and knowledge about how to change the business and improve operations, not just improve operations. And then by what methods are we going to use and practices are we going to concentrate at the core of that? And then what types of behaviors are we expecting? So we created this thing for all these jobs. It took a couple of months and I was enjoying it until I found out when I spoke to a number of managers, when they asked me what you're doing, I said, oh, I'm upgrading your core competencies to include all the stuff that you've been learning. I said, well, that's interesting and he said but why are you doing that i said because you can use the core competencies what's wrong with that he said we've never used them ever so there's me thinking it's going to be great really moving fast the managers were not trained on how to interpret the old core competencies to measure their staff so when it comes to how do you evaluate your staff well it was very much on a bell curve, and it was opinion, and it had a recency bias, all the stuff you shouldn't do. And they wondered why the business was in trouble. Hey, right, but at least we found it, And I got a, a lot of good descriptions that I can reuse.
0: Wow. Let's actually talk a little bit more about performance management since we're already on the topic. So how is that done for sense and ADAPT organizations?
2: Let's look at the traditional ones. I've studied this subject an awful lot with a number of universities and business schools. And I've come up with a system that's called climatrics. I didn't go into this on the webinar because there was just not enough time. But in order to understand what the difference is between traditional organizations and adaptive organizations, there had to be a lot of practitioner involvement and a lot of research to develop those theories. So there is a bed of theory that we have published on that. To cut that story really short, There are four archetypes of business. There are more, but these are the main types. You have the mass production model, the factory, if you like. And then if you look at what is the purpose of the manager's focus is to get the maximum output of their staff. So you have measurement related to how much they produce, not whether it's any good, but how much they produce. And then when it comes to performance management, they're using those measures of performance to evaluate how good they are. So you can see this reference right back to measurement being a problem because you now pushed the snake under the carpet and the measurement and performance enhancement. Well, if you've got the wrong measurements, you're driving them in the wrong way, and you're getting better performance on the wrong thing. Whereas if you look at the next level of archetype, it's called mass customization. Now... This is still, everybody gets the same, but it's a little bit better because you're looking for add-ons to that. But basically, it's the same approach. Then you move on to what I call network specialization, where you've got network specialists that come together on their own, not a network organization. They do this themselves to figure things out in order to take customer requirements and then look at, what is actually causing disconnects in the organization to actually change. So you reward people for improving the way the organization works in creating more value, and that's what you evaluate them against. The top level is the sense and adapt system. Here, you're looking at heavy co-creation, You're coming up with new things, new forms of value, new measurement systems, and you're creating things that actually differentiate the business. So those are four different things in which the performance would be evaluated. If you mix them in some sort of horrible hybrid, you know, hybrids in animals are often infertile. Okay. And this is what you get. You make an ass out of it.
0: Wow, that is definitely true. Now, we talk about in traditional companies that senior managers, you know, figure out a change plan, then they design an organization, and they pick people for the teams. But for Sense and Adapt, we let people decide where they need to go. So how do you manage the performance when people are fluid? And how do managers manage when they encourage the staff to actually work horizontally?
2: Let's just think about that for a second. You've got a whole host of people stuck in their silos, frustrated, no willing contribution. They don't even tell you when things are going wrong. They certainly don't put any effort into going about what they're doing. Then when you're moving into an organization where people are actually redesigning their own work, fully engaged and wanting to work longer hours, do I need to run a performance check? I sure hope not. Climetric survey, we do measure that because what I described was a climate of being stuck of being told what to do. Very little freedom in the role. Decision-making is very local. Very little collaboration from one silo to another, let alone end-to-end and top to bottom. So our climetric survey looks at how the work is designed and what people are allowed to do and not to. Because I described four different types. So we ask a series of questions to find out which type of organization we are dealing with. Now, you might have a company that thinks it's highly adaptive, it's done its agile, Kanban, everything that you like, and people are reasonably happy, but the work is still overburdened, decision making is still not low down, and there's no transparency. There's just lots of stupid things, avoidable mistakes that are just happening. And basically, it's firefighting because of all of this work. Now, you can pick that out in the survey compared to a business that only does as much work as it is able to do and nothing more. But they get the biggest revenues from that. We throw away things that do not work for our customers, not sell it cheaper so how they interact with people, the types of decisions that they make can be determined within this diagnostic. And what you find is the top two, the network specialisms and the sense and adapt models, they are tending towards this highly adaptive organization. It doesn't do many of the things the others don't. They just stopped it. Simple as that. Not improved it, stopped it. But there need to be a transition. But the thing about this is you can derive for each one of those types. It's adaptability score because it's looking at how people in an organization engage and deeply, deeply, deeply understand their customers, not a voice of the customer, deeply understand what their business goals are and turn them into your goals as well. That's what we did in the purpose statement engaging and deeply understanding what are the methods and approaches you've got from that maybe this is part of where agile is going wrong i've forever saying your biggest failure point is your product manager because if you get more people engaged with the customer with more conversations you'll have an awful lot more of insight ingenuity willing contribution and creativity when I talked about these different types of organizations, their behaviors, their customer engagement, employee engagement, what levels of freedom people have, all of those can be measured. And we measure that within the metrics. And what we do is for the four types of organizations, the archetypes, that's the sense and adapt, highly adaptive, the network specialism, then mass customization and mass production. We ask a whole series of questions and we're able to see how they react on typically four dimensions. And those four dimensions are first is engaging and deeply understanding your customers. What methods, processes and systems do you have for your staff, managers and leaders to deeply understand the customers, not just the voice of the customer, and how do they act upon that? The next thing that we measure in there is how we find information and share it. How do we interpret it? What are the mechanisms for sharing this information around the organization in a process that I call big picture collaboration? So we can look for behaviors on how well there is sharing between management and staff and across silos and up and down the hierarchy. Then there is what I call leading and choosing. And the question here is, who does the leading? Is it at the top level, mid-management, or is it distributed right across the business? And if it is distributed across the business, how do leaders, coordinate it at all levels and end-to-end, make decisions instead of the top guy making the decision and putting it down? Here, the bias is on the decision coming from the lowest possible point of where the problem is, up to the level of which, and it may be three levels, or three levels have to work on sorting this problem. And this is very similar to the Toyota and-on cord. If you're not familiar with that, when somebody on a production line has a problem, he can't fix it, so it pulls an and-on cord and the line stops. So the supervisor comes out, he starts trying to change things. Of course, the line is on stop. And then if he can't do that, his manager comes out and they work. And so the time is ticking now. And then after a certain time, if the line has been stopped, the top boss comes down and they look at this and they might say, look, this is so bad. We need to pull this out of the line. But before they do that, they go back down the line to see if that same problem has already been implemented to find out where it came in. So they try and fix it. Now, all the time, most of the line is down. If you know most of your production is going to be down until it's fixed and you take that attitude, these are disconnects, which are serious, and we're going to fix it, not put it on a list with loads of other things to be done, sometimes maybe never. We're still trying to do a root cause analysis, which you haven't got a clue. You fix it with the right people at the right level, with the right knowledge, all working together. And that's what that leading and choosing. Who is doing the leading? How do we choose what we do next? Can we get that solved close as possible to where the problem is? And this is the same with initiating a change. Anybody can do that, but they might need the help of the others. But the change is initiated from below with evidence from the other areas. But then you get collaboration about that. But not just collaboration about operational issues, But in big picture analysis, you use the whole workforce in forums called big picture forums to sort out what the business issues are. Because some of the business managers don't know. But when you take it down, they can see what this problem is. And you've got the whole organization's operations and business working on problems. You could go even further with that type of collaboration is the responsibility is to predict when things go wrong because you can see early signs of something going wrong. And they bring this into the forum. And they said, look, I think there'll be a knock-on effect if we let this continue. Somebody else, a manager from one department or an engineer, said, no, that's more serious. We better do something about that. So they actually start predicting when things are going wrong and take preventative action instead of reactive action when it breaks. And one company that I work with today, every month, they're saving about 2 million euros because they are predicting the failure and they're avoiding it. But they're using everybody's eyes and ears and they're on the lookout for that. So if you want to know more about that, I mentioned in my presentation this book. It's called Valuable Disconnects in Organizational Learning System. This, along with the other two books I mentioned, is the Bible. But let me come back to, so this learning and choosing how to fix it with the aid of big picture collaboration. And then there's the last one. Having fixed, found out what you need to change, you then work out who helps to do that. You get the right people to the right level with the skills to fix that so it doesn't happen again. Or you're creating something new and therefore the management need to learn how to run the business with something new. And that's called improving and adapting. And that completes the circle. And when that circle is complete, it creates a very different work climate, and everybody's involved, and you can measure it. And for every one of those types of organizations, you can get an adaptability score. One of my clients thought they were were going to be up on the network specialism because they were highly engaged with the customer. That's where they thought they were going to be. We ran a survey of 1,500 people, and that came back, and it was a mass production model. The rhetoric, was much higher, but the actual way they'd set up the measurement system, the processes, the checks and balance were on the mass production model. So this had a disconnect between how customers experienced them and the rhetoric that came out from the business.
0: Wow. So in central adept companies, people, obviously, they, they understand how the entire company works. It's not just their functional areas. But in traditional companies, people are put in their functional areas and their performance is being evaluated based on their functional competency. So what can they do to take the first step to a sense and adapt?
2: The first step to a sense and adapt is you need to know you need to do it. And like that vice president said, we've been designing these businesses and failing all the time. It's now your job. Because they knew these problems were not going away, no matter what. If you're stuck, if you're doing the same thing over and over and getting incremental results from that and not breaking through to transformation, you've got to stop trying harder. You've got to do something different. And one of the things that I do is I take a measures matrix, which is discussed in the webinar. And this flows a lot of people because suddenly they get it. What they're paying attention to and what they were worrying about made no difference to the customer, but it did make a difference to the bottom line. And I'm not saying they are wrong, but they were the dominant measures. There were very few in the matter to customer areas. I'll give you an example There was one large telco that will remain nameless, had lots of other little telcos it was serving on a big global network. And their customers were saying, you're terrible, we're going to build our own network, and this was going to be very problematic for this telco. So having gone through this awareness about the measurement particularly, one of the account managers for a very large company who was working for my client went in and said, we are terribly sorry you're getting bad service from us, even though all the metrics are green. They're all good. And his client said, we know that. We've been challenging for years. And he said, they're the wrong measurement. And he said, we know that. We've been telling you for years. And he said, so if you've known that they're the wrong measurements and you've known for years, why do you keep using them? Because you tell us that's what you want to measure. And we are saying it's no good. But you won't listen, which is one of the reasons we want to move and build our own infrastructure, because you're not listening. Customers know. But even though that voice of that customer, it didn't get to the right place, because when you look at the pain of the board, the pain of the senior managers and the pain, especially of the mid managers that operate in the business, they're in the bottom left hand quadrant, which is functional and doesn't matter to the customer. And they are the dominant ones. And the pain that keeps them awake at night are all in that quadrant. I've dubbed that waste pain. Because when I went to them, they said, we want you to improve these measurements so we can sleep at night. If you improve these other ones about customer outcomes, end-to-end business, and solving a customer's problem first, your customers won't worry about these other ones, and you'll have time. And by the way, these other ones that you're worried about will improve on their own. So I find it exciting when seeing people go, oh, no, we've been looking through the wrong end of the telescope, as well as fixing the tyres and not fixing the road.
0: Thank you so much, Stephen. We actually have more questions. Perhaps we can come back and ask you those. All right.
1: That's it for our episode. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Stephen Perry on Changing the Way You Change.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on ouragiletales.com.